Right to be read podcast, episode number 64. Interview with Brian Kahn. You are listening to the Right to be Read podcast, and this is your host, Ani Alexander. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Right to be Read podcast. I would like to thank every single one who's listening to the show and tell that I really appreciate your support and your feedback, as well as every single review which you leave on iTunes, because it extremely helps with the podcast ratings. Also, I've created an awesome giveaway for all self-published authors or the ones who would like to self-publish their books so please check it out at www.annealexander.com giveaway before we start i would like to remind you that the podcast is sponsored by the author marketing institute ami wanted me to let you know that their next event for authors is coming up at the end of january it's called author marketing live and it's a virtual conference that means that you can attend from your home or office and see all the presentations via your computer or tablet. Grab a seat today to learn from best sellers like Steve Scott, Jalcom, Louis Hose, and Peter Shankman and more. You can grab a ticket to the event for only $99 if you use the coupon code ANI during the checkout. ANI spelled A-N-I. That is $49 off the regular price. So just visit www.authormarketinglive.com to register and using the coupon code ANI save $49. Okay, and now we can go to our interview. I would like to welcome my guest Brian Cohen, who is an actor, freelance writer, author and occasional game show contestant. He has written over 30 books which have been sold more than 30,000 copies. Brian loves writing weekly emails to his subscribers. He's also a co-host with Jim Kukral with from Author Marketing Club at the Sell More Books show, which is yet another uh, podcast for writers, which I'm encouraging you to check out. And he's also keeping a blog to help creative writers find new inspiration for the last five years. Welcome to the show, Brian. I'm really happy to have you over and thanks for coming. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to chat. <laughs> yeah, well, it seems that uh, I mean, I uh, when I was reading about you and I was doing a small research before uh, the interview, I realized that we have a lot in common <laughs> because we're both writing books, we're both uh, working with uh, authors, and we both uh, host a podcast for writers. Yeah, it sounds like we're both very busy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we are. Well, actually, uh, maybe we could start from the beginning. I'm just curious, um, when and how did you start writing? And was it with fiction books or nonfiction? Because I know that you're writing both. Well, uh, originally, I wasn't much of a writer at all. And I started with theater and improv comedy. And that was kind of my biggest uh, pursuit coming out of uh, university in around 2005. And I did a little bit of writing and I took some courses in college, but uh, improv was my number one aim. And 
uh, one of the things about improv comedy and theater is that it doesn't pay very well. Mm -hmm. And so I was putting in a lot of work and I was learning a great deal from some great teachers in both North Carolina and Chicago, Illinois. And I, I decided that I need to find a way to funnel this into something. And I thought about writing. And in 2008, I started buildcreativewritingideas.com, which was my the site you mentioned that I help creative writers uh, become more creative, deal with writer's block, and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I determined about a year in that, that the posts that were the most popular were posts of creative writing prompts. And those are story starters, just helping people to jog their get get their pencils moving get uh the the document started and i decided to put those into a book in 2010 so my first book was a nonfiction book and i had some success there tried a little fiction at the start but uh it had, it's been mostly nonfiction up until the middle of last year when i decided to try my hand at some longer form fiction Oh, I see. So uh, what's the difference? I mean, how do you feel? How different do you feel about those two? Because I have a feeling that writing fiction and nonfiction are completely different experiences. How is it for you? Oh, yeah, I totally agree. You, It's a very different headspace. You need to think differently. Your process, there, there are similarities, but I, I think it's it's very different in a lot of ways because... When you're uh, writing and editing a nonfiction book, there's some fact checking and you want it to be creative. But when you've got a fiction book, you, you could find something wrong with it that then takes you a week to fix because <laughs> it's a totally wrong plot hole or you forgot a character or something. And so, yes, I, I think they're they're very different in the process for me. It, it has a lot to do with. My my outlining is is one of the the best things I learned in 2014 before I started working on fiction. That the outlining has been key. Yeah, absolutely. I I have a feeling that it helps a lot, especially in the for the beginners who are just starting, and it it kind of ensures that you don't get stuck somewhere in the middle, which happened to me quite often in the very beginning. Oh so, yeah, me too. Me too. So uh, you do outline, I'm certain, but uh, do you, especially with fiction books, do you leave space to be a bit flexible and let, let's say, the characters or situations uh, drag you somewhere? a bit I definitely do I I think that's my improv training coming into into focus there I will outline a book and I know that some people feel that if you outline that doesn't leave any room for creativity but I completely disagree because my outline doesn't fill in how characters react it doesn't fill in how uh, it fills in point A to point B, but not how you got necessarily from point A to point B. So there's some latitude there, but I'm very much willing. If I have a story that goes in a different direction than I expected, I will go in that direction because my original idea didn't take into account how the characters would react in a certain situation, and I'm often willing to let my characters go in a different direction than I expected. 
Okay, and I think it's it's nice when you yourself also get surprised about, you know, where you go while writing. <laughs> oh, for sure. Yeah, I totally agree. Okay, well, uh, I'm just thinking that uh, you pointed out a very interesting thing that the writing prompts were in your blog one of the most popular posts uh, which you had as topics. Mm -hmm. So uh, it it means that most probably people lack ideas and want, you know, need uh, topics to practice around or, or write about. So where do you get your own ideas? Well, a lot, I think, of those first ideas with that first book of creative writing prompts, a thousand creative writing prompts, I I drew from my improv having done hundreds of scenes and and those scenes are all based on one simple idea per scene. It's You've got two people, maybe one's a male person and one is a person waiting for a package that, that they've been waiting for for 10 years. And, and that's already a concept for a scene. But as far as other ideas, I, I think ideas exist everywhere. I think that it's possible for people to pull from their own lives. It's possible for people to pull from... TV shows and movies they like and and make an adaptation from that my fiction series Ted Saves the World which is a young adult sci-fi fantasy series it draws heavily on my love of the television show Buffy the Vampire Slayer mm -hmm. and that influenced me a lot and it made me want to switch around the ideas of the characters a little bit and and see what I could come up with and while there aren't vampires in my book there there are uh witty uh dialogued teenagers fighting evil and that was very much an influence from movies so i think you can get them from without other sources that of things that you like and from within i've always drawn from things from my personal life one of the characters in the ted saves the world series is based off of one of my best friends and so You never know what will happen when you combine things that you see in other places with things that you've personally experienced. Yeah, and that makes me think that actually people should not really be scared about using already existing ideas because mm -hmm. uh, many think that they should come up with something completely original, which is a big challenge because these days it seems that everything has been written up already. <laughs> so yeah. uh, you can always have your own individual angle and viewpoint of, of the same things and it will come up as a completely different thing as a result. So yeah, very interesting point there. Um, so um, I have a feeling, I don't know, I mean, uh, I have a feeling that just like me, you can't concentrate on one thing because you're, you're writing both nonfiction and fiction and you're also a podcaster and you're mm -hmm. having this blog. So it's just, you know, many different projects and many different things that you're doing at the same time. And um, I tend to do that too. Although I've been suggested that I've been advised that usually it's better to concentrate on one and I just can't choose one. That's what I'm doing many. So how are you... Um, dealing with this how are you kind of balancing all this together in time wise result wise etc it, well it's not easy and, and what we do as people who 
are excited about multiple things is definitely a challenge for sure. And a lot of advice I'd gotten is, is very similar to do one thing, but people who do multiple things like Steve Scott, for instance, in some of his books, talk about batching things together, doing all of one project at a certain time, finishing as much of it as you can, and then moving on to the other things. Uh, for instance, the fiction writing, I strictly do in the morning. I usually do it between around 7.15 and 9.30, or I'll, I'll push it to 11.30 if I, if I have a deadline. But that's always my fiction time. I have a specific place I go to to do the fiction. I do it, and then when I leave, I leave the, I'm not thinking of the fiction anymore. I'm, it's done. I've closed up shop until the next day. And then I, in the other things that I do, for instance, sell more book show, we tape that every Tuesday afternoon. And every Monday, I, at Monday afternoon, I go and find the five news stories that we're going to talk about. So every Monday afternoon is sell more book show news hunting. And every Tuesday afternoon is sell more book show uh, recording. And those are always, every week, th those times are blocked out for those specific purposes. Okay, so you're, yeah, I mean, being organized and having the time batches for, for all the projects separately is kind of something that helps you out, I guess. Yes, oh, for sure, because, and this is a recent thing, I, I used to be very disorganized and making sure that it, the certain tasks always happen at certain times that I can count on for myself makes it so that if something big does come up and I have to do something different or I have to be in a different place, it really helps me because there have been several several instances in which I've been out of town on a Tuesday afternoon and I will just bring my little podcasting equipment with me wherever I go And that Tuesday, I will record the podcast by hook or by crook, for sure. Okay, I see. Well, what about the audiences? Because I'm sure that your nonfiction book audience and, and your fiction book audience readers are completely different. I mean, they may mm -hmm. overlap, but not really so much. So how are you dealing with building and growing two separate audiences at the same time? It, once again, this is another challenge. This is it, it. Essentially, you have to have almost two separate marketing departments in your head, two different uh, companies, two different paths towards getting those audiences. For the nonfiction, it really started with the blog. And back in 2008, when I was doing it, blogs were really one of the best ways to market yourself. And so through that blog, I was really able to direct a lot of traffic toward my uh, nonfiction books. And now that blogs are filtering out a little bit, I have to figure out more ways to build that audience. I'm considering rereading out loud some of my old blog posts and turn that into a podcast. Uh, author K.M. Wyland has been very successful with that. And for the fiction, it's it's really thinking outside the box because There's been a lot of talk in the beginning of 2015 that it's it's getting a little bit harder. You can't just put up a book and, and you'll be successful. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of hard work to do. And I need to go out and find those fiction, the fiction readers. And something I'm doing in 2015, one of my challenges to myself is I'm posting a comedic video to YouTube 
every single day as part of a new YouTube channel called Brian Cohen Showin. And it's very goofy. And it's a side of myself I don't usually show to the nonfiction audience. But mm-hmm. fiction people, fiction readers want to know that their author has personality. They want to they make a connection with them. And video is is a good way of making a connection with anyone. So that's my challenge. I don't know if it'll work or not, but I'm doing all the things that fiction authors do for their regular promotion, but I'm also trying to do something different that could fail, but it also might have a very high ceiling in case it succeeds. Uh Uh-huh, I see. And I presume you have two separate email lists for those two audiences? I do. I I actually have probably about five or six different email lists. And uh, and one of them is for uh, nonfiction. And one of them, I have two for the fiction, one for my general readers. And then if they have subscribed to my list on briancohen.com, for an entire month, they get an invitation to a second list, my advanced reader list, in which they will get a free copy of every book that I put out with hopes that they will leave a review very early on after it's been launched. Oh, I see. And does it work? I mean, are you getting reviews from those lists? Yes, yes. I, I The first book in the Ted Saves the World series just passed 100 reviews. And it wasn't the the advanced reader list wasn't the only thing I did to do that. I did a lot of work, and uh, I'm it, it took a lot of hours. But it for the the later two books, I'm getting good reviews to start, and they're from my most dedicated readers. So I definitely think it's a worthwhile thing to try. Okay, and I I presume you're also keeping two separate websites, right? Yes, my nonfiction is buildcreativewritingideas.com and my fiction is at briancohen.com. Okay, I see. Wow. <laughs> it is a lot of things. Yeah. It's, it's a lot to keep track of for sure. And that's why the organization is so important. And although, I mean, you ask, if you asked my wife, she'd probably say I'm very disorganized because I need to clean the house more often. But with my business, <laughs> I really do try to stay as organized as possible. And it's, it's most certainly a challenge. Yeah, I can imagine. And how did you end up um, having the podcast um, sell more books? Sure. This, this was really just fun to, to, come, to come upon Jim. And, and I'd seen Jim, I'd listened to him do interviews, I'd seen him around. And in March of 2014, I was doing an event called March to a Bestseller, and it was a multi-author Facebook event with uh, 16 authors, including myself, uh, who, who each did nonfiction books on writing, about writing, writing skills, and, and how to market your books. Oh, yeah, and I remember that, yes. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And Jim actually asked if he could be a part of the event, and I I actually said no because I already have the art done, I already have things figured out, and so. Um, but in, during that exchange, we connected on Facebook and, and friended each other. And a few months later, he posted a message out on Facebook asking, "Does anyone want to do a podcast together on on mark book marketing?" 
And I said, for sure, because in my mind, Jim has this great audience that people already know who he is. Nobody knows who I am in the book marketing world. So this would be a great opportunity for me. And I didn't even anticipate that we would learn so much from covering the news every week and covering these tips. And I've made such great connections. And Jim invited me in September to his author marketing live event in Cleveland. And Mm -hmm. I met several people in person who I really uh, admired, like Sean Platt and Johnny B. Truant from the self-publishing podcast. Got getting to meet with them and and eat Sean's potatoes off his (laughs) plate uh, not really off his plate, but off a side dish to to the side of him at a fancy restaurant. I mean, that's just something. And and meeting all these other great authors, Derek Murphy, Jay Thorne, Hunter Boyle, so many cool people to name. And that is the kind of thing that when you make connections with people, it all started with that multi-author event. When you make connections with other people, when you put in a lot of hours trying to help other people you will probably be rewarded and you'll learn a lot along the way. Yeah, absolutely. I truly believe in that. And uh, I also think that relationships are uh, the base for everything else. So it's, it's very important to have genuine relationships, both with, co- you know, with uh, peer authors and with the readers as well. Agreed completely. Yeah. So let's um, let's go back to your very first self-published book. I'm just trying to to come up with with the journey you had from the oh, very sure. beginning. So let's just uh, try to to imagine what happened. You you saw the demand. You you noticed that people are looking for this, and you created this book and you self-published it on Amazon, I presume. Yes. Well, first I published it as a PDF on my website because Kindle Direct Publishing, I don't even think it was called Kindle Direct Publishing yet. It was called Amazon something. Uh-huh. Uh, that's how early it was. It was in August 2010. And I didn't even know about that yet. So I just published it as a PDF. But then I heard about Amazon. I put it out on Amazon. And the first month, nothing happened at all. I didn't sell one book the first month it was up there. And I started trying to look into, well, what can I do? And and I knew about search engine optimization from my uh, time working on the blog. And so I thought, well, if I post a lot of links to the book from my blog, because I had over 200 articles at the time, if I make sure that every post is linked to my, um, if every post is linked to my book, I should get an increase in sales. And I did this whole big thing with getting people to write stories for me based off of my prompts and posted a bunch of those on Build Creative Writing Ideas. And every single one I linked to the book. And by December, so I think those efforts really started to kick into high gear. And I, I think I sold 100 books that month after having sold none in September. So it was a huge push and, and it really started to go up from there. Okay, I see. So it it did take time. And I, I guess, I mean, how did you feel? I, I'm sure many of us have been there when you, you put the book out there and you, you hope that, you know, it will be selling at least 
a bit <laughs> and then you see uh, absolute zeros in your reports and yeah. and many feel devastated many give up at that stage and some don't so how did you feel and how did you approach that from the emotional angle well i didn't have a lo i didn't know what was going to happen with this and and i didn't get too disappointed that it hadn't sold i'd had more <laughs> i'd had plenty of failures in the past and Uh, no one buying a book that I haven't promoted and doesn't have any reviews on it didn't feel like one of my biggest failures. It just felt like something that was a, a challenge I had to overcome. At the time, I was low on money and I was looking for ways to build it up and I didn't know how to even do this. So my first instinct wasn't to be despair, uh, despaired. It, it wasn't to get upset. It was to do research. That was my first instinct. And I think anyone, when they don't see any results from something, I think the first thing you should do is research because usually something isn't selling because you missed something or you forgot something. And I think that it's possible to sell even just a few books when you are doing all, you'll usually sell a few books if you're doing everything right. But if you're doing a lot of things wrong, it's very possible that you will sell zero books. Mm -hmm. Yeah, agree completely. So um, your show is uh, has a very interesting title. And I think that's the biggest challenge most of the authors have these days. It's uh, mm -hmm. selling books. Because uh, I have a feeling that, you know, writing the book is the very first stage and uh, not necessarily the hardest stage. You know, yeah. many more harder things come later on. And selling yeah. books is like one of the hardest challenges that authors are uh, facing these days. So uh, based on your experience and based on what you've heard on the show and, you know, you've covered so far, uh, which are like the several most effective things that authors should approach in order to help them sell their books more? Well, I would say there's three main things. And uh, the first thing is the fundamentals, which I, I just mentioned, but I'll expand upon in a second. Second thing is mailing list. And the third thing is, you mentioned, uh, building relationships. So the first thing with fundamentals means getting everything right. This means probably you're going to have to invest $500 to $1,000 to get a strong cover, probably about $200 to $300 on that. You need a well-edited book, probably $400 or $500 for that. And then you just need to make sure you know the rest of it correctly. You might need to buy courses or products to understand things. And that, and that covers the rest of, of the money there. You need to have your cover needs to be in good shape. Your description of your book needs to be, it needs to make sense with the rest of the genre, what people are usually buying, see what descriptions those books have and, and make sure you're mimicking those, but, but taking your own spin on that. You need to make sure your, your title is strong. Everything about your actual listing page online It needs to be indistinguishable from a traditionally published and professionally edited book. If your book looks like it's self-published, it's, it's 
unlikely that people are going to buy it because consumers are becoming more savvy and they want good books. Number two, with the mailing list, we've talked about this a little bit, is you need your mailing list to be set up, whether it be through a site like MailChimp, or which is free for up to 2,000 uh, subscribers, or Aweber, which is not free but allows you to have autoresponders, which are, are very helpful. You need to have your mailing list set up. You need an incentive for people to sign up for your mailing list, like if you're nonfiction, a free white paper or top 10 PDF, or if you're fiction, a, sh a free short story that people can't get anywhere else so that people sign up to your mailing list because as you start to build that mailing list, these are the people who are going to buy your books when you release a new book. And if you don't have the mailing list, you're dependent on Facebook or YouTube or someone else to sell your books for you, which is, is not a, a good strategy. And number three, building up those relationships. I never would have had Sell More Book Show if it wasn't for connecting with Jim after the March to a Bestseller event. I've also recently been in a multi-author box set that I saw that a friend of mine was in a, it was a three-part box set. And I saw a friend was in the second part and I said, how'd you get in this box set? And if I hadn't made the effort to connect with that person who I met in the comment section of another podcast that I was chatting with that day, I mean, you, you never know when these connections are going to mean something, but you don't go into them thinking they're going to mean something. You go into them because you want to have friends and make connections and 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 have a good time and learn and and then you get the double added bonus of maybe somewhere down the line something will happen. So I I think those three things, the fundamentals, the mailing list and making connections with other people are the three best ways to sell more books. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Those are very crucial. And I, I have a feeling that, um, you know, as you said, people shouldn't think about connecting with certain people with uh, having uh, in, in their minds that those people are famous or, you know, they have bigger yeah. audience or they can, you know, be used in a certain way. But it's all about the genuine relationships and, um, you know, as you said, just, you know, normal human behavior without yeah. any any back thoughts, uh, which which actually pay off. Because if, if it's not that, uh, the other way around, it shows and people feel it and you know they they kind of uh, they won't react the way you want them to react actually yes that i completely agree and uh, let's touch a bit the book launch itself. I mean, I'm, I'm certain uh, we covered this a lot uh, of times on the podcast. And uh, the listeners also know that to keep the ongoing sales, you have to keep ongoing efforts. But at the same time, uh, the book launch itself is very crucial. And the way you organize it, if you do it right, it can kind of help a lot along the way. So what do you think makes... Uh, successful book launch? I think that a successful book launch requires that the first day you're writing the book, you start writing the book, you're considering the marketing. You have it in mind. If you're planning on writing a book in uh, four months, that means four months of marketing planning along with writing your book. You need to know what you're going to do, what 
kind of things you need to set up because a lot of big things that you could do with a launch, like a, a Facebook event or like a tour or a, a podcast with uh, other people trying trying to to build things up, those take time to organize. And if you try to do it right when the book is out, it's fine. It's not going to give you a boost right away. It's going to take two months or so for you to plan everything out, which is why it's a good idea to start with the marketing in mind, have that plan going. And that's hard to do. I don't even always do it myself, but I try to at least keep it in the back of my mind so that I can consider what things might work. Like say, for instance, I have a book I'm planning to launch the first week of April. What can I do the first week of April? I'm thinking about this now in January. What can I do the first week of April that could give my next book a boost? And I've already got some some things in mind. I've got some things I'm planning for February and for March. And these are the kind of things you need to do to prepare for your book launch. I mean, you got to think when a, a store has its grand opening, they didn't just start planning the grand opening last night. They mm-hmm. started planning well in advance to make sure that the grand opening had ads in the newspaper and that there was a, an article written about it in a magazine and whatnot. They planned ahead. And if you want to be a real author, entrepreneur, if you want to be a have your books be successful, you need to plan ahead as well. Mm-hmm, exactly. And um, well, it's, uh, it's very important to plan everything and prepare everything in advance. But also at the same time, I've been having from my guests two contradictory views about um, the certain topic, which I would like to raise with you as well and see what you think. Okay. Um, the thing is about the audience and building the audience. Many say that you should keep your written book to until you have a certain level of audience in place already mm-hmm. and then launch it when you have a sufficient number of followers and potential readers and email list etc and the others say that once you've written the book and it's ready and you've done everything you you had to do to make it a good quality product you should put it out there because even if you don't have the audience you get the experience and you learn from the mistakes that you've already made in the very beginning so um, those are kind of you know one against the other and they Mm -hmm. don't they they are not in line with with each other so what do you think let's say I mean most of us don't really have large audiences in place yet and most of us are just in process of building those so what is the best way to approach this? This is a tough one. This is a tough one for sure because both sides have great points and I don't think you can fail. I think there is one way isn't better than the other necessarily. So I think if you have the patience to build up an audience over time and wait until you put wait to put out the book until you have people in place to buy it, that's very cool and I I think that people who can do that, I I know that Hugh Howey wrote on his blog about the Liliana Nirvana technique in which she waited for a a five book series. She put out, uh, or it might've been more than five books, but she wrote five books in advance 
and put out four and got the next one ready and then wrote the next two and and basically had about five to seven books out within a month or two. Mm -hmm. And that's impressive. I mean, that's incredible patience. I am in the other camp, though, because I don't have the patience for that sort of thing. Uh, But I also think that sometimes putting out the book allows you to find more of an audience than you would have found before. I found that when I released my one with the nonfiction book with the thousand creative writing prompts, I wasn't nearly as well set up as I am now with mailing lists and whatnot, but that book moved a lot of copies. Thousands and thousands of people bought that book and I didn't have anyone in place. So if I would have waited, I would have missed out on those potential readers. And the same thing happened with uh, the Ted Saves the World series. I My mailing list was about 50 people, but the number of people who bought it was about 50 times that. And so I think you need to decide which you would rather do. I don't think either way is prone to failure. I think you might even build yourself up better in the long term by waiting. But it's tough to be patient because you have a book. It's finished. You're excited. So I, I don't think one way is better than the other, but I personally would release the book and then go about continuing to build your audience as you go. Okay, I see. And we, we spoke about relationships a lot this uh, today. Mm-hmm. Uh, how do, uh, I mean, there are many people who, who are not very comfortable about approaching people and, you know, communicating mm-hmm. with them out of of nowhere uh so uh let's say uh, there is someone who doesn't really know anyone in in his sphere in his niche but uh needs actually to to get in touch and and build relationship with peer writers or potential readers what would you advise how he should approach that here's the thing there i know there's a lot of people out there who don't like contacting people, other people, and they feel weird. They feel like they, well, why would I ever, what, this person will hate me or something like that. I think that, one, I've never had that problem, thankfully. Uh, so so I think in that way, in this business, I'm, I'm pretty lucky to have that character trait. But if you're worried about connecting with someone, offer them something. Ask to help with promotion. Ask to get involved in their business somehow, someone who's a big deal in your in your niche might be willing to talk to you if you're saying, hey, I want to organize this multi-author Facebook event. Do you want to be a part of that? That's, that's how I connected with uh, Steve Scott and later Joanna Penn mm-hmm. and, and, and these big people who at a time I felt like maybe I didn't have anything to offer them, but I said, no, I'm going to connect with them. And if they hate me, they hate me. But it's so (laughs) rare, unless you said something offensive, no one is going to look at your email poorly. They're probably just not going to read it because they get too many emails. But if you have a strong enough offer, then usually your email will be read and you might even be able to work with that person, which would be really fantastic. Yeah, well, I'm I'm getting asked very often, like, how how do you end up having such great guests on your show? And when I started, I was just, you know, no one knew me, actually. And uh, I mean, my answer was, I just asked, and many said yes. So it's just, you know, you don't yeah. lose anything. <laughs> you just ask and see what they say. 
so it's not a very well it may be intimidating a bit but then you know when when you think that the worst case that will happen is either they won't answer or they will say no then you know it's less scary <laughs> yeah it's and, and people are scared of rejection and i i totally understand that rejection really stinks but rejection is i would say It's better to be rejected and sell more books than it is to not be rejected and never try. <laughs> yeah, actually, at least you will know that you've tried and you did your best and you, you did whatever you could. For sure. Yeah, well, uh, thank you very much for coming over. Uh, I think we covered a lot uh, today. And, yeah, uh, it was fun. <laughs> Uh, thanks a lot uh, as as I already said uh, I, I encourage my listeners to listen to your podcast as well with Jim oh, Kukral because I think it's it's very useful too and and um, you know we're we're not into this um, bad and and ugly competition so people no. don't, don't listen to only one podcast so no. <laughs> um, yeah that would be ridiculous yeah absolutely <laughs> so thanks a lot for um for everything i wish you success with everything you do because just like me you do too many things maybe <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. so um all the well, best thank you so much i really appreciate it and i appreciate you having me on too thank you Thanks. Well, that was it for today. A reminder once again, as I already told in the beginning, the Author Marketing Live is a virtual conference which will take place at the end of January. You can grab a ticket to the event for only $99 if you use the coupon code ANIANI during checkout. That's $49 off the regular ticket price. Just visit www.authormarketinglive.com to register. Also, please don't forget my giveaway at www.annialexander.com slash giveaway. Well, I guess that was really it. I don't think I have anything else to tell, but I'm preparing a quite personal episode for the next week. So stay tuned and I will share some of my personal life and writing experiences with you. Take care, keep writing and I want to read your books soon. <laughs>